0: but you should look at the projects, look at the team, look at the track record, and make your best educated guess. But it's not based on who's the most popular necessarily because these projects have to have a roadmap, they have to have utility, they have to have some sort of use case. It can't just be that the person is popular. That's the same thing as betting on a shit coin. Welcome to the new wave entrepreneur, where we dive head first into Web 3.0 personal sovereignty, spirituality, and psychology. These conversations are unfiltered access to brilliant minds and actionable advice that will repair you for the rapidly changing world. So, jump in. The water is warm and the tide is rising. Ah, my friends. Welcome back to the New Wave Podcast. Daniel DiPiazza checking in with you here. It is Friday, March 11th. And, uh, well, you know, you know, on Friday, I like to do my wrap up of the week. I like to give you just an idea of what I've been looking at for the week, what I've been reading and up to the minute updates on what's going on with, with the world. And some things are funny. Sometimes things to keep ways to keep it light, uh, you know, as well as heavy. But, uh, we have a lot of really good, interesting headlines to dive into this week before we get into that uh, I wanted to just add a a few bullets here beforehand. Uh, First of all, thank you for all the wonderful feedback on the episodes we put out so far. Even this week, we really have uh, stepped up the game with um just just the quality of content we're putting out and the rate with which we're doing it and and the speed so so thank you to my team for putting it out and thank you to all the listeners who are downloading it uh, every episode is getting more downloads now every email is getting opened a little bit more uh so I know you guys are digging it and I appreciate the love I appreciate the uh the the reviews I appreciate the comments thank you seriously Uh, If you haven't checked out newwaveentrepreneur.com, that's where we're hosting all of this. Um, And anything that I mention on the podcast, you can find it on newwaveentrepreneur.com. So that's the place to go. And uh, if you aren't already subscribed uh, on the platform you're listening to this on, whether you listen to it on my website and you're subscribed to my email list or on a platform like uh, Spotify or iTunes, make sure you subscribe there and just leave a comment, leave a review. It'll help us to get better guests on. It'll help us to uh, move the podcast up in the ranks and just build the community. So it's much appreciated. Uh, and then a few other things today. I mentioned this in an earlier email, but uh, I'm going to follow up here. Two things going on. First is I'm going to be in Tucson, Arizona, March 26th at Soul Revival with my friends, uh, doctors Brett and Kate Jones. And this is, I think, the third year I've done this event with them. And man, they bring the heat. This is an event that's like a hybrid event of business, personal development, and healing. And uh, they bring together health practitioners, entrepreneurs, and shamans, essentially, And, and really interesting people who are from all walks of life but looking to improve themselves and... Make a difference and make some money, and they bring really dope guests out. I have a great, uh, a great speech I'm preparing for this year. Although to tell you the truth, I'm still putting it together this conversation, but it's going to be all around the new wave. And what we're going to do is prepare our bodies, mind, and bank accounts for what's to come ahead. But this is, you know, my my TED talk. That's going to be just part of the experience at Soul Revival. Uh, you can get your tickets by going to newwaveentrepreneur.com. I've put the link up there so you can check it out there. So that's Soul Revival. Make sure you come see me. And uh, by the way, do you know that I do all these podcasts wearing my Suwanese glasses? Have you looked at the podcast recently and seen me with these orange glasses? Well, it wouldn't be the first time. I've been wearing these things since 2015. Since many of you guys have been listening to to one version or another of my show uh, since maybe... Up to seven years ago, you'll probably have seen me wearing these Swanese glasses. This is by a company called Swanwick Sleep, uh, and actually the the glasses themselves uh, they're they're featured on the episode with James Swanick, uh, and that I just released that maybe two weeks ago as a throwback on a Throwback Thursday. So go check that out on uh, on Instagram or go check it out in the uh, in the podcast now. Those glasses are so good for people who, like me, are looking at screens all the time, who are uh, having trouble kind of like resting your eyes from constantly being stimulated by something bright and flashing. Not only that, but at night, you'll find that it's hard to go to sleep if you've been looking at a screen for a long time, and your, your brain doesn't produce melatonin in the correct sequence it doesn't produce at the right time if your circadian rhythm is thrown off and if you're looking at blue light all the time um, it actually makes it harder to go to sleep at night because your brain still thinks it's supposed to be awake this isn't this has become pretty well known over the last couple of years i feel that like in the beginning when swanic glasses came out people were still wondering do these really work and i think now it's pretty clear that they have a positive impact you know and and to how much of the positive impact I think it depends on your your life and your personality and you know and what you're looking for, but I would say for sure they have a definite positive impact on your life uh, and they'll they'll really help you to at least rest your eyes and make you feel a lot fresher from looking at screens and you know at, at a very uh you know high level uh, help you sleep better at night especially if you're working into the night like I sometimes do anyway um Swanix sleep is sponsoring this podcast now i wear swanik's all the time so it's no bullshit you can look on the show and see you can go to the website as well uh new and you can check it out and it's, it's listed there or you can go to swanixsleepcom forward slash daniel and you can check out the uh the glasses and you get 15 percent off when you do that which is great and uh and they'll ship it right to you and that's about it so those are the people for today now let's Let's jump into the podcast. I really want you to uh to to tap in with me and let's let's talk about the headlines. We'll go right to it. First of all, we we know that we're in the middle of a well, I shouldn't say we, but the world is experiencing or watching the conflict between Ukraine and Russia. And to a certain extent, there is an American involvement in that we have such a big presence in NATO. There is uh a strain between Russia and NATO because Russia is not part of NATO and Ukraine is or we're trying to get Ukraine to be part of NATO uh, and Russia doesn't want that. And America is America has interest in Ukraine. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole today. I have a lot to say about what's going on in Russia and Ukraine, but I could make the whole podcast about that and I, and I don't want to. What I will say before we kind of move on from that is that America has a hand in um, the breakdown of many diff- nations all around the world and doesn't absolve Russia of anything that they're doing right now. But I, if I were you and I were listening to this, I would just start to think, what is America's interest in all this? What is this? Uh, what are the different interests of the parties who are playing their roles? Could it be that... You know, although, yes, obviously, we we have empathy for anybody who is a victim of a war crime. The countries themselves are not uh, so innocent in that one country is uh, so, so much of the aggressor and the other just the simple victim. Are there nuances to the argument, to, to, to the conflict here? Is there a large time horizon where things have been going on for many years, decades, perhaps even are there many different personalities and opinions and desires involved? So this conflict has many different shades to it. And the way it's painted in our media is very much one-sided. If you looked at Biden's uh, State of the Union, which I watched maybe 15 minutes of and watched some highlights, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched uh, some of his, his thoughts on, you know, Russia. And I just, I guess from my perspective now, I just... I would I would much more appreciate a truthful telling of the nuance than the overall whitewashed perspective of Russia bad, everyone else, you know, with America good and, you know, us coming with this with this false authority that we have some sort of moral uh high ground to stand on when if you just look very e- even closely beneath the surface, not even deep, but closely beneath the, sur- beneath the surface on both parties there's so much corruption, and there's so much uh, there's so much greed, and there's so much just really nasty stuff going on on both parties, not just one. And it doesn't absolve Russia of anything that they're doing. So it's not about that. It's not. I, someone put in the comments on Instagram. Oh, so you're on Team Russia? That's obviously, obviously not. Uh, and I'm not even on Team Ukraine. I'm on I'm on Team People of Ukraine. The, the political situation i think is different than the people who are affected the human the human element of this the political element i don't have an opinion on the human element you know and i think that is what we should all agree is the real uh, tragedy here in terms of a sovereign Ukraine and what Russia needs and, you know, all that. You can look and there's most of Russia doesn't want this either. If you look at what the actual uh, citizens of Russia are saying, you know, and some some things that have been leaked out for sure that Russia, Russian citizens are not happy about this anyway. So all of that to say, um, there's a lot to explore in this conflict. And I wouldn't I wouldn't advise you to, to take it on surface and face value. That's all I'll say. Maybe we'll come back more uh, later next week. And we'll talk more about this stuff. You can watch the news if you want. I don't know how much useful value you're going to get from that. I would recommend you just check out different, uh, different written news sources. I recommend you check out different independent journalists on YouTube and Substack. I recommend you check out a variety of sources and form your own opinion about these things because global geopolitics is always... Uh, More complicated than it seems and it's not just that. Oh Putin has gone crazy and he's just lashing out on Ukraine. It's always a little bit more than that. So anyway, that's what I'll say Okay, uh, moving on. So let's talk. I have a few different categories of things. I want to talk about today um, I want to talk about some tech news. I want to talk about some good news in, um, in the U.S. educational system. I want to talk about some crazy news in the influencer celebrity space. I want to talk about some economic stuff in the U.S. And I want to talk about some crypto stuff. And let's dive right into it. Uh, let's have fun with it. You know, obviously, I'm going to put all the links to these uh, these headlines in the in the paper or or in the paper, God, in the description below, and you can check them out. But do your own research as as you as you will. Uh, I'm reading these things because they're of interest to me, but I'm not certainly not the authority. So here we go. Um, the first thing I found, which was really fascinating, was found in a Technology Networks bulletin, which is based on a research study, and the headline is: Could cancer cells' iron addiction be their Achilles' heel? What this piece is talking about is it's saying that because cancer cells uh, or some cancer cells have a tendency to um, absorb and feed off of a certain type of um, iron, you can inject the iron with certain cancer-fighting uh, drugs and only affect the cancer cells rather than harming healthy cells. So the article says, a new study from researchers at the University of California, San Francisco has found that ca- uh, cells carrying carcinogen- are. Um, uh, on, on, oncogenic oncogenic, not carcinogenic, oncogenic CRAS mutations harbor elevated levels of a specific kind of iron. This iron could be used to activate drugs that target cancer cells, avoiding harm to normal healthy cells. Um, the formation of cancerous tumors is driven by genes known as oncogenes, the most well known being CRAS, spelled K-R-A-S, found in 20% of human cancers. These genes are particularly common in acute myeloid leukemia, lung adenocarcinoma, and pancreatic ductal adenocarcinoma. (laughs) Ha ha! Woo! Said that one. When mutated, mutated, crash genes are implicated in uncontrollable cell proliferation and cell signaling processes that ultimately enhance the survival of cancer cells. Pharmacological drugs have been developed with the aim of blocking these pathways and subsequent proteins produced by crash genes. However, such therapeutics are limited in their ability to target cancer cells specifically, resulting in damage to healthy cells and tissues. Okay, translation. You know, sometimes with these, there's nothing wrong with having a research-based article and even speaking in an academic tone. But sometimes, I feel like they really could shorten these paragraphs and make it easier for people to read. I understand what they're saying. What they're saying is there is a, a type of gene that is found in most human cancers, about 20% of human cancers. And that gene is addicted to iron. And by by creating drugs that, that specifically um, affect that type of gene they can essentially eliminate it from the inside out without having to affect healthy cells. So this is pretty cool. And um, it just goes on to talk about how those cells are addicted to iron and how it selectively targets iron-hungry cancer cells. This is really interesting. I think that, you know, as we are getting more experience with, um, with pharmacology and, and, and humans are getting smarter and smarter, we are eliminating all of the things that once took us out. Or we're getting close to it, even with. AIDS, and other types of autoimmune diseases, we're getting closer to either being able to slow them down or stop them or reverse them entirely. And we're finding that some of the things that we thought were just random are lifestyle related. We're finding that uh, we're finding that certain things um, are completely being eliminated. I mean, now one of the things that's interesting, and I was reading this somewhere, I forgot why I read it now, but the idea that as we eliminate more of the things that used to kill us, one of the new dangers is us as a population of humanity surviving so long that that growth and that, that uh, imminent exponential growth is what kills us because we no longer die from natural diseases. And the natural diseases are in, in many ways meant to eliminate us. But, you know, how can you not want to use the science that you've been given that seems to be a function of God to be able to eliminate the chance of death from things that are painful like cancer? And I applaud them for doing this research. It's pretty cool too. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the, it also makes you realize that, man, there's just so much going on in the world and you just can't keep track of it all, especially when you're looking at all the different things that are happening in technology research and medical research. And um, there are people that are working on things their entire lives that we never even have exposure to. I think I read something, uh, or, or, or no, one of my friends told me, Joe Klemzeski, he said something along the lines of when you have a bachelor's degree, an undergrad degree, you know nothing about everything. And when you have your PhD, you know everything about pretty much nothing. (laughs) Meaning that someone who has a high level of education in a very specific field, it's so specified that they spent all their time learning almost just that field, and it's basically nothing of the human compendium. But it goes very deep, whereas the what the undergraduate knows is a very wide amount of nothing. It's basically everything. <laughs> but um, I just thought it was a funny comparison. So awesome! I'll put that in the show notes. Now here's something interesting, which I thought was very encouraging. Uh, this is coming out of CNN. New Mexico's governor just signed a bill to make college tuition free. So this. This is really cool. Uh, For most New Mexico residents, college will now be officially tuition-free. New Mexico Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham. Signed on Friday, Senate Bill 140, otherwise known as the New Mexico Opportunity Scholarship Act first introduced in 2019, the plan will waive tuition for any students attending any in-state public school or tribal college, including community colleges. For over a quarter of a century, New Mexico has been, uh, this is a quote, for over a quarter of a century, New Mexico has been a national leader in providing free college to its residents. A fully funded opportunity scholarship opens the door for every new uh, uh, New Mexican to reach higher strengthening our economy, our families, and our communities. Luhan Grisham said in a statement, quote, sign this resolution, uh, legislation sends a clear message to New Mexicans that we can be- that we believe in them and the contributions they will make for their families and their future uh, uh, of our great state. So this is really cool. And this is what I find so interesting about this. And I know that New Mexico is not uh, maybe the most populous state there. and okay, there can always be excuses to, as to why something can't be done. But we have to look at Instances where things are done. And I don't think there's any reason that if New Mexico can give free college to their, uh, their students, that we can't do that in every state at the state level or nationally at some point. And Joe Biden, uh, it's not just about Joe Biden. Presidents before him, up until Joe Biden, have had no success or no interest, either, either or, no success or no interest in getting Americans free college. We know that many countries in Europe have free college and they are, uh, they they at least benefit from that you know we don't have to argue or or talk about which government system is uh, is the best all the time but i can say that free education is definitely beneficial uh, to everyone involved so why not we already pay so much in taxes we already have we're supposed to be the richest country in the world and yet we can't do some of these basic things so this is something I think is important for all of us to to look at and notice as a model, and I'd like to see other states follow New Mexico's lead. And I applaud, um, I applaud the governor for making these awesome moves. So Good job, New Mexico! And I want to go on a vacation, in New Mexico. You know, ever since I saw Breaking Bad, I thought, man, like that just looks so cool. I always love the desert. If you guys have seen any of my stuff on social media, you've seen that I uh, like I go to Joshua Tree sometimes, or I'll go to um tahoe or big bear those aren't really desert but i like to go to the desert sometimes i go i go to uh, arizona and um and i just love being in the the hot rocks but new mexico is somewhere i haven't been yet except for maybe driving through once and i'd like to spend some time out there and i've heard very good things so anyway that's it for that okay uh now let's move on to something a little bit more i don't know i guess you could say grim but it's important to know uh this coming out of uh, voa news and Amazon rainforest nears climate tipping point faster than expected. So according to this article, hammered by climate change and relentless deforestation, the Amazon rainforest is losing its capacity to recover and could irreversibly transition into Savannah with dire consequences uh, for the region and the world, according to a study published Monday. Researchers warn that the findings mean that Amazon, the Amazon could be approaching a so-called tipping point faster than previously understood. Analyzing 25 years of satellite data, researchers measured for the first time the Amazon's resilience against shocks such as droughts and fires, a key indicator of overall health. Resilience has declined across more than three quarters of the Amazon basin, Amazon basin, home to half of the world's rainforest, researchers reported in the journal of, journal of Nature Climate Change. In areas hit hardest by destruction or drought, the forest's ability to bounce back was reduced by approximately half, uh, said Tim Lenton, director of the university's Exeter Global Systems Initiative. Our resilience uh, quote our resilience measure change by more than a factor of two in the places nearer to human activity than in places that are driest uh, he said so this is saying that the the rainforest ability to withstand droughts and fires in savannah-like conditions is reducing so it's it's basically it's it's weakening its ability to resist the encroaching spread of dry land, drought and wildfires are happening partially because of the deforestation and partially because of the climate itself which are two separate issues the deforestation is especially in brazil a problem because the president in brazil is actively deforesting um, the the greenland and it says in this article that just under 20 percent of the amazon rainforest straddling nine nations and covering more than five million square kilometers which is two million square miles has been destroyed or degraded since 1970, mostly for the production of lumber, soy, palm, oils, biofuel, and beef. So this is really interesting, guys, because the Amazon itself isn't just a nice forest. It's actually one of the top providers of oxygen for the planet. And so, I don't know. It just kind of shows that humans are kind of dumb. The fact that there would be any... First of all, the fact that there would be any argument over the climate change is so dumb because... It it's not it shouldn't be about the political ramifications of the, the any policy that comes from from climate change. That's secondary to all of our overall health. You know, it, it's a thing that's happening. It's not a political statement. Just like COVID really shouldn't have been politicized, even though it's it was and is heavily politicized. But um climate change should not be politicized. And and yet even for years up leading up to now, people have been some denying it completely happening when we should be saying, look, 20% of the rainforest is almost gone. The rainforest is what provides a lot of the oxygen for a good part of the planet because trees produce O2 and they also absorb CO2. So they're really important. So one thing that this article points to, and I think is interesting, is it says that even if we do get past the tipping point where we are near irreversible, if we were collectively to reduce the temperature of the planet, we could bring the forests back to the pre, pre-industrial pre levels. But the question is, are we smart enough as a society to do that, to, to coordinate and do that? If COVID was a dress rehearsal for working together as a planet, we failed. Other than that, you know, I would be hopeful, but since I've seen us in action recently, now I'm not. Either way, I just want you guys to know, and maybe do your part in some way. You know, like recently we had a podcast on uh, with the Crypto Coral Tribe, who is actively raising resources not just for charity, but to to partner on projects with a community where they're using crypto and NFTs to um, put money towards reforestation to to creating more to creating more like like resources for for natural preservation. So anyway, listen to that podcast. That was like maybe like six or seven podcasts ago, maybe last week. Anyway, it was a good one. So that is something to, to know about. Uh, I'll put this article in the show notes as well. I have a few more here that I think you're gonna be interested in. So the first one is ooh now this is coming out of so so let's transition into some into some crypto news. Okay, let's talk about some crypto, some juicy crypto stuff. So this is coming out of uh off of, of crypto market report. So Jake Paul exposed as a $2.2 million serial crypto scammer. So here's the brief on it. An investigation has linked Jake Paul to a series of dodgy crypto projects and promotions. CoffeeZilla, who is a well-known YouTuber, and uh, I think some of his stuff is pretty funny. CoffeeZilla has exposed Jake Paul's connection to Yummy and Milf and revealed Profit he made. I think those are our NFT projects. The YouTuber also had his own phallically inspired project titled Sticktix. Okay, uh, let's read a little bit more about this. So, YouTuber Jake Paul has been connected to a series of dubious crypto promotions in an investigation conducted by a crypto sleuth Coffeezilla. Jake Paul is already the focus of some serious investigatory heat, thanks to the Safemoon class action lawsuit. That uh, the suit alleges that the famous social media irritant, along with fellow celebrities including Backstreet Boy Nick Carter and rapper Soldier Boy and Lil Yachty, made false or misleading statements to investors about Safemoon. The suit. Further, alleges that this was done to profit the profit of Paul and his celebrity peers and to the detriment of ordinary investors. With a legal case working its way through the courts, YouTube internet detective CoffeeZilla cast a closer eye on some of Paul's other crypto projects and promotions. The project under scrutiny included Sacred Devils, Yummy, Milf, and Stick Dicks, a phallically focused NFT project founded by Paul himself and promoted by porn star and NFT scammer Lana Rhodes. CoffeeZilla first explains the, uh, the difficulty in investigating the character such as Jake uh, such as Jake Paul quote from Coffeezilla. On the one hand, everything on the blockchain is trackable and publicly available, which is a good thing, said Coffeezilla. On the other hand, it's super easy to set anonymous crypto identities whenever you want to do something dodgy. Uh, let's let's get to some of the juicy stuff here. The first crypto project which CoffeeZilla connects Paul to is uh, League of Sacred Devils, an NFT project linked to the scamming scamming behind Faceless and countless other rug pull projects. For his part in the promotion of Sacred Devils, Paul received a sizable 39.9 ETH. So let's see, how much is 39.9 ETH? I think think ETH is what today? It's like 2,500, 2,600. Let's see. Let's say it's 2,500 because it's been down recently. So even at 2,500... And let's round it up to forty e twenty five hundred to forty. Okay, hundred 100 grand. Not bad. Not bad. Okay, so we received hundred grand. Stick dicks was an NFT project led by Paul, which netted the influencer over one point five million. Paul failed to deliver on the roadmap for the project, and investors lost their money when he walked away. Wow! SafeMoon became the key to unearthing further bad practice from Paul using block explorers and basic chain analysis. Coffeezilla was able to, for the first time. Uh, to link a 109000 dollars payment from SafeMoon to a wallet address held by the YouTube influencer. The same address was linked to payments from MILF, Token, and Yummy. In every Paul, in every case, Paul created a new wallet to receive his tokens, but he then transferred the tokens to the same wallet to cash out. Coffeezo was able to show that in each instance, a payment to a wallet connected to Paul coincided with an undisclosed promotional post by Jake Paul. The payments could be linked to a publicly available profile on Rarible called, Rar- Rarible called Problem Child with at Jake Paul in the bio. So in total, Coffeezilla was able to conduct uh, the star uh, connect the star in crypto promotions and projects totaling 2.2 million dollars. So this is really so this is interesting. Okay, so the first I think the first takeaway from this is, at, okay as someone who is in the public eye, I think it's okay for someone to launch a crypto project. I think it's okay for someone to launch a crypto project. I think that. For someone to launch a project, they have to have a plan to do it. And you have to see that they follow through on a project before. So what I would do is I would study people, look at their behavior, look at if they if they deliver on their promises and base your base your investment on that. And even then, there's no certainty. There's no certainty. And a lot of these big YouTubers and these big like porn stars and these big like Floyd Mayweather did... Uh, an NFT or some crypto, even in 2017, a lot of these people are going for super quick cash grabs, and they're making tons of money. And then there's no accountability to do anything because it's all digital. And you can say, "Oh well, we decided not to do it," or whatever, or it's still in development, or we're you know we're working out the bugs or whatever. I mean, you can say anything, and there's just there's so much gray area for what is um, what is acceptable right now. And I think that there will be some value for sure in regulating some of the crypto market but at the same time you have to be your number one you know bodyguard when it comes to defending yourself against scams and I don't have anything against Jake Paul personally you know I don't know him I don't have anything against him personally I don't I don't know what his character is like but he wouldn't seem to me to be the most trustworthy person to invest in for an NFT so yeah I don't know that that would just be because when you look at a project you have to look at who is in the project, what the track record is, what, and, and, you know, by the way, this is like having also made mistakes, me personally having made mistakes. So I'm only speaking to someone who has, from my own experience, seen the the others have not doing this. But you should look at the projects, look at the team, look at the track record, and make your best educated guess. But it's not based on who's the most popular necessarily because these projects have to have a roadmap, they have to have utility, they have to have some sort of use case. It can't just be that the person is popular. That's the same thing as betting on a shit coin. So I don't really feel bad for anybody who invested and lost their money from Jake Paul, but I do feel like it's irresponsible for him to do that. And I feel like he probably won't get too much accountability because, you know, how could he? So anyway, those are those are my thoughts on that. Uh, let me see what else we have here. So this is something interesting, and it's more about the economy. This is an article coming out of CNBC, and it says moving, how much you need to afford a new house. And it basically is just talking about the crazy rate that inflation is going up in the U.S. and how inflation is now over 7.5%, which is more than even it was at the end of last year. And again, these are official reports, but let's be honest, do you trust the official report? I mean, if I was part of the the, the Bureau doing the official reports, I would be looking to tone it down too. Like their whole job is to make it look as good as possible. And 7.5 is already looking really bad. So I would imagine it's at least 10, if not more, which means that things are... 10% more expensive than they were last year or that your $100 is really only worth 90. And I'm sure you're seeing that in a lot of places when you look at the pump, when you look at the price of groceries, when you look at the price of housing, all of that I'm feeling. And this article goes out to uh, talk about the fact that there are five cities where, according to them, home ownership is out of reach. Um, and I, I'll take you through these. And I want to hear what you think. And I'm, I'm curious, actually, you can put in the comments on this uh, on this episode, I'd like to hear how much does housing cost where you live? But it says five cities where home ownership is out of reach. The first city is LA and it says the average home price is $642,000 and the minimum income needed for that would be $130,000. So it's $130,000 just to live as a, I think what they're considering a um, middle class lifestyle in LA. But the average actual median income, or I should say the actual median income is around $62,000. So most people would need $130,000 to live middle of the road, but the average income is about 62K. uh, Having just come from LA, I can tell you that's accurate. San Francisco, the average home price is $1.1 million. And the minimum income needed just to live a middle-class life there is about 226K. Almost a quarter million dollars. The third one after that is Honolulu, with a home price on average of 685K. 130K is the minimum needed. I should mention too, by the way, it's worth saying, going back if you can visualize this, that the minimum income needed in San Francisco is about a quarter million, 226 is the number, but the, the actual median income, the median income is 112. So as with LA, the median is about half of what the minimum is needed for middle-class families. Same thing in Honolulu, where the average home price is 685 the minimum income needed is 123 And the actual median income is 63k. Same in New York, basically, where the average home price is 600, the minimum needed is 120, and the actual is 63. And same in Oakland, where it's about the same as New York. So, from my perspective, that has been uh, a similar experience. It's been a similar experience. Uh, Now, if you look at the five most affordable cities to buy a home. The five most affordable cities, and I won't list all the prices here, but the five most affordable cities are number one, Detroit, number two, Akron, Ohio, number three, Toledo, Ohio, number four, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and number five, Fishers, Indiana. And you know what? I know people in almost all these places, and if you want to live there, fine, but I wouldn't want to be in Detroit. I have a lot of family in Detroit, and I don't think anyone wants to be in Detroit. Um, I have some friends who've lived in Akron, and I don't hear sparkling things about that. Toledo, Fort Wayne, Fishers, like, I don't know. You know <laughs> no disrespect to people in those places who are listening to this podcast, but it's more like the yes, it, it costs less to live in those areas, but I feel like the economic opportunity is also lower, depending on what you're looking to do. That being said, in a um in a digitized economy, one could live anywhere. In the new wave you could live anywhere, but I tend to think that in those areas, yes, it's cheaper, but you also look at the actual uh, median incomes, and they're much lower as well. And, and the same, uh, those trends are interesting to look at. So, I just what I would like is to, I, I want to have my cake and eat it too. I want to I want to live in the city of my choice, and I want it to be affordable. Why is that so much to ask? Why does it have to be? Oh, well, if I want to live in a in a city with a you know a thriving culture and a and a beach. And, you know, nice weather that it has to be, (laughs) it has to be, you know, 300% more expensive than living in, you know, somewhere else in the country. And I guess inflation is going up everywhere. So it affects the places that were already more expensive, even greater. You know, if it was already more expensive to live in an expensive market, then inflation makes everything worse uh, in that already expensive market. But man, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty crazy to watch. So I would encourage you, I would encourage you. To at this time be putting some money into uh, the market if you have some extra money and buy them while things are down. I know that it's scary right now sometimes. It's like, oh, what's going to happen? But there is a saying around uh, buying while there's blood in the streets, and I think it's a good time to just invest in things while they're while they're a little bit shaky because eventually they will pull back up. Look what happened in 2008. You know, the economy isn't even near where it was in 2008, um, and we are uh, we are. Even, it, even in our worst days, what we do have going for us is capitalism. As long as we keep buying, which we all will, and everyone's going to continue the buying cycle, the companies that are sitting on the money will continue to create value and, and repay it to stockholders. Now, how long that game can go on is the question of humanity. But in terms of inflation, if inflation is going up at 7%, Seven and a half percent now. You got to have something that paces that out, you know, or or at least meets it, but certainly outpaces it. And there are a lot of things out there that outpace it. I mean, even looking at some of these um, different ETFs, um, these uh, these exchange traded funds or electronically traded funds, I think exchange exchange traded funds. uh, They they're they're hitting nice averages, you know, above ten percent. Some of them are fifteen percent plus. And then if you look at some crypto, you know, there are some ways you can flip crypto and you can exceed. Uh, you can exceed those inflation rates. So anyway, something to think about. I just want you to consider it. Consider how inflation is affecting where you live. Consider how it's affecting your paycheck, how it's eaten into that paycheck. Considering different assets or, or different classes of, of uh, things, play, things to put your money so that you can you know, do better. Because if it's just in your bank account, you're actually losing money. I know it's hard to conceptualize this, but if the money just sits there and you don't do anything with it, then you're actually losing your ability to purchase goods and services because inflation goes up so you're, the same dollar buys less. It seems like it's the same amount of money and it is the same amount of physical dollars, but it has less value. And that's what's happening every year as inflation goes up. And inflation's going up because we keep printing money. and We keep printing money because lots of reasons. Because we keep issuing debt and it keeps going in this continuous cycle. People keep not paying the debt back or we keep creating more money to fund different projects. There's so many different, I mean, that's a whole different podcast. Okay, Okay, so let's talk about what I really want to talk about today. This is CBDCs. Can we take a deep breath and say CBDCs? What are CBDCs? These are um, central bank digital currencies. What is this? Well, first of all, there's a report out by NBC News right now that talks about um, what Biden, what steps Biden is taking towards a government-backed US digital currency. Okay, so the headline of this article, Biden takes big step towards a government-backed digital currency. The Biden administration is throwing its support behind further study and development of what would be known as a U.S. central bank digital currency. A U.S. digital currency could be on the horizon. The Biden administration is putting support behind what it calls, or what's called a CBDC. The move is in part The move is part of a sweeping executive order President Joe Biden signed Wednesday instructing the federal government to explore possible uses of and regulations for digital assets like cryptocurrencies. Quote, my administration places the highest urgency on research and development efforts into the potential design deployment options of a United States CBDC. The executive order reads, The order asks for a wide variety of agencies to begin research and submit reports on the variety of issues surrounding digital currencies, uh, from design and security to financial and societal impacts. Uh, We know the implications of potentially issuing the digital dollar are profound, quote, They are extraordinarily wide-ranging, a senior administration official told reporters on a call Tuesday. Although U.S. digital currency would not necessarily change much in terms of everyday experiences like buying goods and services, economists say it could transform central and commercial banking, as well as government sanctions, banking accessibility, and taxes. The potential here is enormous, and it's very interesting, said David Yermack, a a professor and chair of the finance department at NYU. Okay, hold on. First of all, this article says, although U.S. digital currency would not necessarily change much in terms of everyday experiences like buying goods and services, See, now that's something that I think already is an assumption that is potentially false or at least untested. Now, I read about CBDCs months ago, and you know who put out an article on them? Snowden, Edward Snowden. Now, if you guys don't remember Snowden, he is the whistleblower inside of the Department of Defense who exposed the massive surveillance operation that the Department of Defense has been making on American citizens for the past X number of decades. He exposed that program. That program was confirmed. I think it was called uh, Pyramid, something like that, Project Pyramid, something along those lines. And uh, this was something that Barack Obama, you know, clearly acknowledged. This is something that he is now still in exile for because he knows if he comes back, he's going to be, um, he's going to be tried for probably treason and, and, all types of war crimes, spy crimes, all this stuff, and he writes an article um, on a Substack, and this was all about CBDCs. It was called "Your Money or Your Life," or I'm sorry, "Your Money and Your Life." Central bank digital currencies will ransom our future. I'll put this in the in the show notes as well. What this article gets at is that there are multiple different ways that a CBDC is not a digital dollar. This says, after all, most dollars are already digital, existing not as something folded in your wallet, but as an entry into a bank's database faithfully requested and rendered beneath the glass of your phone. A central bank digital currency is not a state level embrace of cryptocurrency either. It's at least not cryptocurrency as pretty as as pretty much everyone in the world who uses it currently understands it. A CBDC is something closer to being a perversion of cryptocurrency or at least the founding principles and protocols of cryptocurrency, a crypto-fascist currency, an evil twin, entered into the ledgers on opposite day, expressly designed to deny its users the basic ownership of their money and to uh, to install the state at the mediating center of every transaction. Let's see, what else does he say here? This is a very interesting article. In this article, he talks about how when the... When the government issues a digital currency, it can then essentially determine not only how many dollars are in the system. Which some proponents of this digital currency say that a benefit of having a CBDC would be similar to the gold standard, having some sort of finite resource, some sort of countable, collectible backed currency, even if it's digital, that will allow a, you know stemming the flow of over overprinting and inflation. But really, what what Snowden argues is that the oversight of of the digital currency from a technology like CBDCs will mean that we don't actually have any possession of our money to the point where if it's the desire of the government who is essentially probably controlling the dollars and controlling the wallets that these dollars are a part of or they have access to your wallets directly for tax purposes uh, or some sort of backdoor mechanisms, that they can not only um, take things from your wallet, but they can also prevents you from buying certain things or redirect you to certain types of purchases that they think would be better for you to be buying. And this article goes on to assert how the government could uh, assert, (laughs) this article asserts how the government could assert its will on you through directly controlling your interaction with its CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency. So this is a very interesting article with a lot of counterpoints to what uh what the the proponents of cbdc's are saying and i think it's pretty clear what i think is so interesting is that on the one hand the government obviously wants to regulate crypto on the other hand it wants its piece of crypto and it wants to it it doesn't want to endorse crypto but it wants to tax the hell out of it and it wants to create its own version of it which would be basically state surveilled money you know they don't want us to have Uh, complete autonomy over our money because that allows us to organize more effectively. It's easier if they own every piece of it. And I don't think it's a big conspiracy necessarily. I think that over time, people who are in power, they just, they gravitate towards towards their own interests. And I can definitely see where those who create and make the money would benefit so much more from having uh, direct access to all those accounts. And I don't know if it's, you know, a hundred people conspiring about this or ten people or one person, but it's certainly it's very clear who it benefits when they make these types of moves. And even if you look at the printing of the dollars, the people and the, the bank the banks that get the dollars first and the people who are parts of those banks and the organizations that benefit from those banks, the people who get the dollars first, the fresh quote, fresh dollars. I know this is a hard concept to imagine, but people who get the money first uh actually are wealthier because the money is worth more now than it will be in the future. So banks, for instance, that are issued money to loan out, the banks are given money by the reserve and the central bank prints money and gives it to the bank and the bank loans it out, okay? And when the banks get that money, it's worth more than when you get that money because by the time you get it and start getting loaned out and spent and moved around, it's worth less because it buys less but for the banks and the people who benefit from the banks and those who are doing business with them get to use that money sooner in the cycle. Well, I think this will happen even more effectively for them with CBDCs because they're going to have digital access to everything immediately and they can print it on demand and what happens is you print a bunch of money and it takes it's like it's like if you fill a pool with 10,000 gallons you at 9,999 gallons you filled the pool almost to completion but it hasn't started spilling over yet so if you have sensors on the pool and the sensor doesn't tip until the very last drop hits the sensor and it goes over the edge, then you'll have spent almost ten thousand gallons filling this up when you could have been you know avoiding that avoiding that spill well there's no there's no sensors left when when they continue to print these dollars and by the time you get the dollars as an average citizen the the sensor should have been going off like Alert, alert, inflation, inflation. And of course, the people who are printing those dollars know that this will cause inflation. But by the time that you get that money and that money is being lent to you and you're using it, it's already devalued. And so it's just interesting because with digital currency, the 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 sensor will still take a while to go off as they inflate the currency, as they print more digital dollars, as they print more, as they add more digital money to the C B D C ledger. Like the inflation will still happen. But there's a lag effect between them printing the money or them creating the money on the ledger. The, the central bank creating the money on the ledger, and us at the gas station, at the pump, and at the at the at the grocery store feeling the effect of money being worth less. And in that time period, those at the top benefit tremendously. So that yeah, I had I had to say that a few times before I nailed the point. That's what it is. It's hard to imagine the money printing cycle and how it works, but that is essentially what happened. So anyway, this is very interesting. I'll put these articles, both the the NBC article and the Biden article in the show notes. I encourage you to look at this stuff. I encourage you to read this stuff, understand it for yourself. I encourage you to understand what's going on in our world. I encourage you to let it inform you of uh, of the changing economy, the changing technology, the potential for you to advance, the potential for you to take advantage of what's happening, You know, and just being aware of everything that's going on. And that's part of you being a responsible citizen. Part of you being a you know a mentor to others. Part of you being a leader. Part of you being an entrepreneur. Part of you being just you know a better person, knowing what's going on. So these are just some headlines, a couple news bites, some things I found interesting, some things I found funny, some things I found inspiring. Uh, that's it. You can hit me up, Daniel at newwaveentrepreneur.com, at Daniel ZPL's on Instagram. Uh, again, thank you to our our partners and our sponsors, Soul Revival with uh, myself and the doctors, Brett and Kate Jones, plus friends and guests, Ruby Fremont and other uh, incredible speakers coming on. You can check out newwaveentrepreneur.com. Check the link to uh, get Soul Revival tickets. And uh, thank you to Swanies, Swanic Sleep Glasses. And my eyes feel fresher than ever. I feel so good wearing these glasses. I love them. You guys see me wear them all the time. You can go to Sleep.com forward slash Daniel. Or you can just type Daniel at checkout. Those both work, and I'll put the link in my show notes so you can get your pair of glasses 15% off And uh, as a friend of the show. That's it. Uh, The water's warm. The tide is rising, so jump on in. Let's get ready to surf this new wave. Happy Friday. Daniel, out.